This morning, I want to continue speaking on a topic we've been speaking of for the last few weeks on called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk this morning about the purpose of speaking in tongues and how this should impact the life of every believer today. And we've been spending quite a bit of time talking about the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what it means. And today I want to continue to talk about that in the perspective of what it means to the person on an ongoing basis to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have an active lifestyle of speaking in tongues and what, 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 what does it mean and what is it for. Just like the point of salvation, there comes a point, there is an event in a person's life that brings us to a new revelation. When we're saved... That point of salvation is the time that you have been transferred from an enemy of God into a child of God. It was at a specific point in time when you said yes to Jesus and no to the devil. And now you became saved. All of a sudden, you took on a new life. You took on a new person. That was in a moment in time. But then there comes the inevitable next day. And the next day, where we have to learn, we have to grow up in that. And we have to work out our salvation, as we're told in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Let's pray for a minute. Father, as we begin this discussion today, would your evidence of the Holy Spirit be present amongst us? Lord, I'm inviting your presence to speak through me today, and every word that's said would be uh, orchestrated and would be ordained, I pray. And uh, just give us your your direction and give us your wisdom in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we have day two after the moment of salvation, it's similar when we have that moment of baptism in the Holy Spirit where we have that initial filling of the Holy Spirit. That, that, that event happens. We are filled. We're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then there comes life after that as well. And I want to talk this morning about what is life after that. Like what is life after salvation? What is life after that second experience called baptism? And we've talked in great detail. I'm not going to go back and rehash what we've talked about in weeks past, but we've made it very clear that the Holy Spirit baptism is a second experience. It doesn't replace the salvation experience. It's in addition to the salvation experience. A person, in order to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, you must first be saved. You must already have the Holy Spirit within you and called salvation. And then comes that impartation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which was evidenced on the day of Pentecost, which is a infilling or a falling down, if you will, of the Holy Spirit upon, upon you, giving you more power, more authority than what you had before. It makes you better than what you were before. That's the best way I can describe it. It doesn't give you a different sense of the Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit, but just in higher measure. It makes you better than what you were before. Who can afford to be a little bit better than what you were before? Can we all afford that? Do we all need that? Absolutely we do. So then after that, then we have the responsibility to walk in the Spirit. We're told in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. 
They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then he goes on to list many obvious acts of the flesh that are contrary to the Spirit. And he also then describes the fruit of the Spirit in that passage. But then he ends this chapter by saying this in verses 24 and 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, as we talked about at the very beginning of the service. Remember we asked, who do you belong to? You're not your own person anymore, are you? No, we are not. We are, we are a creation. We are a child of God. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What does keep in step mean? Not before and not behind. We're keeping in step with the Spirit, and we do that daily, one day at a time. So we have the responsibility to stay in fellowship with God, and fortunately, God gives us the ability to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. His Spirit lives in me and dwells within me, falls upon me, and baptizes me so that I can stay in step with Him. So what is the purpose, then, of speaking in tongues? What is the purpose of it? Well, um, there's three different purposes today that I want to talk about. And I want to just touch on the first one because, we, again, we've spent quite a bit of time in the past. But the first one is that it's an evidence of the infilling or baptism of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Speaking in tongues is the initial evidence. It's the evidence of. Number two, it is a way to witness the power of God, both to believers and unbelievers. We'll talk about that. And then number three, it is a way, the purpose of the speaking in tongues is a way for us to communicate to God in a personal prayer language. It's a private use versus a public use. In the book of Acts, there is a distinct connection between speaking in tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we spent much time in the last few weeks to talking about that. One reason, though, that we didn't speak of was the fact that it does become an evidence to those around us that something has happened within us. We spoke last week about um, why God uses language because maybe the tongue is probably the most unruly thing for us to control in our body. So that when I submit and control my tongue to the Lord and he then uses that to give me a new language, it truly is proof that I've submitted my tongue, which is the hardest part, though one of the smallest parts of my body, to control. And so it's interesting that God would use tongue or language as evidence that somebody else is, is in control. Uh, there's a new sheriff in town now, and he's controlling the tongue. Amen? Now, I wish he'd do it more often. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> but he does. We also see that another reason that is that it's an obvious show to those around us. And it was really important then, maybe more important than now, but remember, um, the message at this point, the early church was really being spoken to most people, through to the Jewish people, to the Jewish people. The Gentiles were considered to be unclean. Remember, remember Peter's vision with Cornelius before he went to the house of Cornelius with the, 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 the curtain or the, uh, the sheet that came down with all the unclean animals in it, and God told Peter to go eat, and Peter said, no, I can't because those are unclean. He wasn't really talking about food. He was using that as an analogy to, for Peter to, to understand that the Gentile people, even though they are unclean to the Jewish people, God was going to use the Gentile people to save the world because that's, thank goodness he did, because that's you and I today for the most part. Besides Michael, Michael's a Jew, but the rest of us were Gentiles. Amen. So thank the Lord that God calls the Gentiles too. I thank the Lord for that. But um, 
But while he was there, and, and so what he was talking about is that when God came and baptized those in the household of, of a Cornelius, what that was was that was proof then to the other Jewish people there that God does use other people. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit came to them and it was proven to them because they heard them speaking the same way they were, de- they were baptized on the day of Pentecost this Gentile family, the Jew, this Gentile family who was a Roman centurion, he also was speaking in the same tongues that they were. So it was evidence to them that the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles as well as the Jewish people. So that's really important that they knew that then. And then there was another example given when Paul was um, going through Ephesus. And uh, in fact, let me read that to you. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a, was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So what happened here is an interesting thing. These men had believed in the example or the ministry of John the Baptist, which really was a ministry of repentance, but not forgiveness necessarily. They really weren't forgiven by Jesus until Paul told them about Jesus that came after John the Baptist, and then they believed and were saved. So right then, they were saved in the blood of Christ by the forgiveness of Jesus through the repentance of John's baptism. And then they went right immediately to the next step where Paul laid his hands on them, and they were filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the second experience as evidence through speaking in tongues. So that now all those around could say, all right, they're Gentile people, but now they had the same experience as the Jewish people, the converts, if you will, of, of Christianhood at that time. So that's an evidence. So tongues then are an evidence that an inward change has happened in a person even today. Now, what are some other uses of tongues? Tongues are a form of communication. There's so much more. Thank goodness there's so much more than just the initial evidence. If that's all there was, it really wouldn't have much impact to me the second day, third day, fourth day, would it? I'm so glad that there's more to it than that. It's, it's not just an issue of getting into the club and saying we've been there, done that. I don't, it's not saying I have that T-shirt. No, it's not that at all. It's, it's, it's a lifestyle now of power and authority that follows me. And as I stay in step with the Spirit, it gives me a whole new purpose and a new way to live a life in victory. That's what it's about. Tongues are a form of communication to God by the believer. What are we communicating to God? Well, let's talk about the day of Pentecost. On that day, Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 the 120 from the upper room were filled and baptized, speaking in tongues. They flow out into the street, and there was a whole host of other Jewish believers there from 
12 to 14, maybe more different countries speaking different languages. And all these people come down speaking in their foreign language perfectly, and they, they weren't learned in it. It says in, chapter, in verse 11, it says, Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. We hear them declaring the wonders of God. So tongues are a form of praise and worship. They're a, a form of adoration to God. The Holy Spirit was speaking through the 120 in the upper room, and he was declaring the wonders of God so that the unbelievers, because these weren't necessarily Christian people there, they were Jewish people that came for the feast, but they weren't believers in Christ. So their heart was being conditioned by these 120 coming down, speaking in their languages through the power of the Holy Spirit, the wonders of God, so that when Paul gave the message, because Paul then gave a, quite a moving message of the gospel. And after that, then, they said, well, what do we do now? Paul says, repent, repent, and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord Jesus called. So the promise of the gift wasn't just for the 120. It was for those 3,000 new Jewish converts to also receive, and it said 3,000 were added to the church that day and were baptized. So it's a powerful word of praise and worship, but yet it conditioned the life of the unbeliever to hear the message of God. That was one way it was used. Now, there's a lot of confusion that comes with this amazing gift. And I, I want to go and I want to spend the next few minutes talking about um, some of the things that would confuse us as to truly what's going on here and is it for everybody or not for everybody. Do all speak in tongues? when they are baptized in the Holy Spirit today or not? Do we speak in tongues when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, there's a passage in Paul, that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that is often misunderstood and creates confusion, I believe, in the difference between a personal and a public use of tongues. I think it's clear that we've discussed that the evidence of baptism is speaking in tongues, but there are those that will say, well, no, because God's word says that not everybody speaks in tongues. But are we talking about the same thing? If we're talking about a public use and a private use, there's two different uses for the speaking in tongues. So we want to talk about that for a minute. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, Paul's talking about the different gifts of the Spirit. Let's read this, starting at verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must draw the man. Then verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, he's going to list in some of the gifts of the Spirit, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, 
to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So this passage describes the numerous gifts of the Holy Spirit that are given to those that are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he gives to them to different people at differing times for different occasions. I believe this morning that there was a gift of faith through a gift of healing that was distributed this morning. That moment when we asked for prayer for healing, I believe there was an extra measure of faith given for the purpose of healing today. So this passage is identifying the use of tongues in a public setting as a way to witness the power of God to both believers and unbelievers in a public use. This is given to, if we were to have a message in tongues in a church service, that would be a gift of tongues. And then there would be another with the gift of interpretations that would interpret those tongues. And what he's saying is not everybody has that particular gift. Not everybody has that gift of tongues, nor do they have the gift of interpretation in a public setting, just like not everyone has a gift, gift of healing or a gift of faith or a gift of discernment. Those are given independently, specifically to different people for different seasons, for different times of their life. Amen? So I want to make sure we understand that there are gifts of, of tongues and interpretations, and you may or may not have that gift, and that's okay in a public setting. You don't have to feel pressure to have that gift. But well, now let's talk about what happens, though, when we talk about the third application of tongues, which is what I really want to spend more time today, and that is talking about a personal and a private prayer language that is for every believer. Every believer can have this working in their life because this is not a gift that's given in a public setting. This is a private setting. This is a private prayer language. This is the gift that every believer can develop and have and use as they continue to be keeping step with the Spirit after they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is really powerful. This is so powerful. This is why the devil doesn't want us to talk about it. This is, a devil, this is why the devil creates so much confusion in people's mind because if everyone really stood and operated and walked in the power of the Holy Spirit, utilizing and practicing and living out their personal prayer language like this, the devil wouldn't have a way to stop it. Do you understand how significant this is? It's important that we understand the difference. And I think we've described the public one differently than the private one. So let's talk about the private one for a minute. Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 about kind of in this passage, he kind of blends the public and the private and he kind of breaks them apart here. He says, for anyone who speaks, beginning in verse 2, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. That's the public use of it. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Edifies means builds up. Okay? Edification means to build up yourself. Anyone who speaks in a tongue builds up or edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies or builds up the church. 
I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edited now, or edified. Now, this could be a little bit confusing, and I'll do my best to break it apart here. Um, Paul would have all of us speak in tongues, but yet not all of us are going to have the gift of public tongues and interpretations. Verse 2, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Now, that would be in both a public use or a private use. Both of them are speaking to God. In a public use, though, there must be a gift of an interpreter, or even the one gave the message could interpret it as well. He could have both gifts at that particular time. And then verses 4 and 5, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. In other words, if you're in a public setting, the tongues are given, that really doesn't do much for me if I'm not the one giving it because I don't know what he's saying. What builds me up is when the interpretation comes and it comes in English or my language, whatever I understand, and now that is building me up because now the, the whole the Lord is giving that interpretation into an English that I can understand it edifies me and edifies the church. That's important that we know that. He said, I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. In other words, Paul really is for the bigger picture here. Paul's not all about himself. He would rather have us in a public setting. That's why he had to give such good instructions because it was being abused in the church. Everyone was speaking in tongues, and not everyone was there to interpret. So it was a different, maybe it was a private application used in a public setting and was causing confusion. So Paul had to bring some order to it. So he brought some direction. He brought some instruction. And that's, I think, why some of us are confused today is because um, those that believe that the Holy Spirit isn't for today anymore, they use this confusion to help them say it's not for today anymore. And, and I'm just telling you that it is. And it is because I know it is because I've experienced it. And I know many of you have as well. And God's Word tells us that it is as well. So... In the use of private language and tongues, let's talk about that for a minute. What's really going on here? This is a language that only God understands. No person, no person, including the speaker, understands what he's saying. Only God does. Now, we don't have a lot of scripture that specifically talks about a private prayer language. So I'm going to speak some things here, so I want you to follow me the best you can. Uh, uh, and, um, and I'm taking some liberties, but I believe that they're biblical liberties in how we're talking about this today. Understand we don't have a lot of real instruction on how we pray in English. Other than um, it says that when we pray, we're to go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We're told by the Lord's Prayer, how to pray in general terms. But yet when it comes to privacy, uh, I think the Lord's pretty, um, pretty sensitive to that. But yet we are told also, though, that Paul spoke in tongues a lot. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18, it says, Paul says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words than to instruct others to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Again, Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in church, though, I would rather speak in the language that you understand because that only makes sense. So what is Paul referring to then when he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you? 
I'm taking that to believe that Paul has a very personal and very vibrant personal prayer life that he speaks in tongues a lot. In fact, maybe more than in his native language. And I think then that when we understand that when I pray in tongues, I am praying in a language that I don't understand. I don't really know what I'm saying. I am trusting the Lord to, to pray perfectly through me as what his word says. And that there are some things that um, just move me beyond the area that I currently am in, that if I was to do it in English, I couldn't get there. I couldn't get there by my own understanding. Romans chapter 8, verses 22 through 27 talks about this. Let me skip down to verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So when I pray in my heavenly prayer language, I am praying according to God's word, according to the will of God. It's not through my interpretation. It's not through my distortion in any way, shape, or form because the Holy Spirit is praying through me in words that I don't even know, but the Spirit knows. And I'm praying in the Spirit. Paul's talking about the necessity of us having faith in God that what we need, God knows about. But yet it's up to me to exercise my faith in reaching out to God and accepting his purpose and his provision. So it's the faith knowing that as I pray this language, I really don't know what I'm praying for. I just believe, though, that the Spirit is praying perfectly. He's taking the things inside me that I don't know how to express, and he's praying through me in a language I don't know, and the devil doesn't know it. Only God knows it. And therefore, I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to intercede for me And now he's using my spiritual prayer language as a way of intercession for me and for this church and for my family and for your situation and for whatever the Lord's placed in my heart to pray for. He's praying in a language that I don't understand because he's praying his perfect will. And those kind of prayers, God answers. God answers the prayers that are in according to his will. Amen? If I, if I pray to God that's not in his will, he, he probably will not answer that prayer, at least without an affirmative. He may say no, and that's still an answer, by the way. But when I pray in the heavenly prayer language, God understands it, and I'm partnering with the Holy Spirit, and it's building me up, and it's edifying me, and, um, and, and therefore the devil can't interfere. Do you know, do you believe, first of all, do you believe the devil can interfere with your prayers? Yeah, you know, we're given an example in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 10. Verses 12 through 14. Then he continued, the angels continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourselves before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom, or the, a, a demonic presence, resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future. Now, see, the answer was given. The moment Daniel started to pray, God distributed the angel to give the answer. But the angel was detained for three weeks, 21 days by demonic presence. 
And it wasn't until the archangel Michael came along to help that angel bust through that demonic presence that, he, that the answer came to Daniel. So in that three-week time, if you go back and read that, Daniel was going through all kinds of hard prayers. He was interceding, man. He was, he was hanging in there for three weeks. Now, does this happen today with you and I? Yeah, it probably does. You can rest assured this, if, that if you're a prayer warrior, you know that you're making a difference for the kingdom of God. And if you know it, you know the devil knows it. And the devil's not going to allow you, if he can do anything within his power, to keep you in that mode of prayer. He's going to do whatever he can to knock you out of the prayer saddle here because he does not want your prayers getting to the kingdom of heaven so that God will answer the prayer. Imagine if Daniel would have been praying in the spirit at that time. The devil never would have heard what he was praying about. The devil never would have known which angel to detain because there's angels all going all the time from heaven. He never would have known which one to get. So when I'm praying in my human language, the devil understands everything I'm saying, and the devil has every, every opportunity to do what he can to impact it, either the prayer getting up because he's distracting me or the prayer getting down because he's impacting the angels or the prayers getting answers. See, this is stuff I don't understand, but I just have to accept it by faith because that's what the Bible says. So when I pray in my heavenly prayer language, I'm praying in a way that the devil is sitting on the sidelines thinking, what is going on here? I have no idea what this man's talking about. And he, therefore, he's left powerless because he does not know what I'm praying, and he doesn't know what the answer is going to be. He doesn't know how to, how to cloak it. He doesn't know how to, how to hinder it. He's sitting there thinking, I don't like this. I don't like this because this man is praying in a language I don't understand. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, So what shall I do? Paul, the one who prayed more in tongues than all of us, he says, I will pray with my spirit, but I, I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. See, Paul is an interesting man because he understands both sides of it. If I pray a lot in my language, what I can understand and what, what I can define... I will find my prayers relatively quickly becoming selfish because I will pray all about me. I will pray about my needs or my family or the things that are important to me. Do you find yourself doing that or am I the only one that's selfish? Anyone else here have the same problem? But if I find myself praying in my language all the time, it's all about the things that I can understand or I can concept or I'm, t or I'm telling God how to do something. God, I want you to heal this person. I want you to heal it today or tomorrow. And I don't, you know, this is how you got to do it, God. And, and God's thinking, man, we just, you know, come on. Who do you think you are? Isn't it better when I come to God with my understanding and say, God, I, I need you so much. But yet I allow my spirit to pray in a prayer that is perfectly in the will of God. Now, let me give you a little word picture here. Because we live in a very busy time. And when we look at the early church, they had a lot more time than we did, even though there's still 24 hours in a day. <laughs> See, recognize that Paul was a missionary. Paul did a lot of traveling. Though the way he traveled, he didn't call the taxi to take him to the airport to get on an airplane to fly across the country in six hours. No, when he, or when he traveled, he walked, either by his own feet or by a horseback or a ship. Took him time. 
we get in our car, turn on the radio, and we get and we, we're there quickly, and we're all the time we're distracted. I, I really believe the reason that Paul spoke in tongues more than all of us is because he took the time to do it. If you don't believe me, then I would say, leave your car in the parking lot and walk home today. Just walk. Yeah, leave your phone in your car here and walk home and then find out how much time you might have with the Lord. And see the difference. Because I really believe that when Paul operated in his daily operation, he would get up in the morning, good morning, God. How are you today? Let's walk to Corinth. And it might take him three or four days to get there. So while he's walking along, Paul's walking and he's talking and he's praying in his mind. He says, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for how much you love me. I appreciate that. And then he starts saying, Thank you, Father, for your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me the victory today. Father, you're so good to me. Thank you for your provisions. Thank you for the food that I had this morning. Thank you for the, sh the sandals that I have on and the clothes that I wear. You're so good. And he lets this life, he lets this language, he lets this inner, just invade his soul so that now he becomes a man of power so that when he gets to Corinth, he is charged up, man. He is ready to heal. He is ready to set people free. He is ready to, ready to deliver them from the demons that are about, about them. And he is free because he spent the time worshiping the Lord, praising the Lord, interceding to the Lord in a, press, in a language that he did not know. And do you know why the devil doesn't like that? Because I just got charged up in 30 seconds. Can you imagine doing that for three days? Can you imagine walking to Petoskey today for 17 miles doing that? Could you imagine walking home today doing that? That's what we need, folks. That's what the church today needs. I tell you, we are in the fourth quarter. And if we don't ta start taking this more serious, we're going to get left behind and we're going to lose the game. It is time that the church rises up and takes our position as a spirit-filled, Holy Ghost church and start operating it and start living it out. Amen? Amen. Amen. So there was, I want to end this morning. Jackie, if you'd just come on up. If there are those this morning that have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I want to give you an opportunity. I want you to know that you can have that. You can have that power, you can have that authority, you can have that language, you can have that, that, that closeness that that brings. And I want you to know that you don't have to get charged up to do it. This is not an emotional appeal, even though that the emotions follow it. It does not have to be, you have to be charged up in a church service to do it. I've got to tell you, this is not like me. I am not a rah-rah preacher, let's get to the altar type guy so I can slay in the spirit. That's just not who I am. I'm more of a teacher. And I would much rather have you walk out of here with something to think about and something to think about throughout the week. And I'd much rather have you baptized at home when you're in your shower. Because if that happens then, it'll happen again. 
But so many times people come to the altar and get filled with the Holy Spirit and they never talk about it. They never have it. They never exercise it. Why? Because they think they have to get into this environment of, of, of energy and this, this, this revved up moment. And that's not what it's about. It's about exercising our free will and allow the Holy Spirit to speak through us every day in every situation and allowing His Spirit to pray through me so that our private prayer life is powerful and effective and it makes a difference in this community, in your family, and in this world. Would you stand with me? Now I'm just going to invite you and I'm going to invite, there's many others here that know how to pray in the Spirit. And I'm going to invite those that know how to pray in the Spirit to come on up and help me do this. But if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to. And I want you just to to say, Lord, I need that. I want that. I am a seeker. Here's the requirements. If there's any requirements, here they are very simply. Number one, be saved. Number one, you have to have Jesus in your life. Amen? That's number one. Number two, you have to be a seeker. You have to want more from God, like we sang earlier. Not just in words, but actually in action. You know, i got to want more. I want more. And then you come up and you be bold and you pray aloud. Use your voice. He cannot fill you with the Holy Spirit. You cannot speak in tongues if you're not using your voice. You must use your voice. And then after that, it's all up to God. It's all up to the Holy Spirit. It's not nobody coming up and adjusting your jaw. We're not doing that. It's just you start praying, using your voice, and say, Lord, fill me. And let him do the work. And let him fill you to, to overflowing. Amen? So this morning, I just want to encourage those that can, would pray with me. Come on up, those that would pray. And those that want to be filled, if you, if you haven't had this or you want a refilling, just come on up. And let's just pray. And let's just ask the Lord to touch us. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.
The Lord is faithful. He is faithful to those that seek him. And he will not allow things to go um, undecided. And I want to encourage us all this morning that this is a day of victory. This is a day of accomplishment. This is a good day of things because the Lord has has set some seeds in place here and he's cultivated and he's watered some seeds here and the faith will be be rewarded. Amen? You may not have a a, a fluent prayer language today. You may have said one thing today. You may have one, one word, but you just keep praying in it, Terry and Bob, and for all those others this morning, just keep praying in it and ask the Lord every day and he will honor his word. He doesn't make a promise not to keep it. He does not make a promise that he will not keep. He promises to all people that seek and follow him. So as you pray, and here's the beautiful part about it, it's going to require us to seek in and dig in on our own later. See, sometimes easy come, easy go. I don't want to get that only flippant here, but sometimes if it comes too easy, sometimes we just don't use it anymore. But as you focus it and work on it and seek it and develop it and read God's word and take those promises to heart, he will come to bear. And he will fill you to the, to the utmost. Amen? He will, in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your mercies and your grace. We thank you, Lord, for, for visiting us today, for Holy Spirit, for being with us. And now, Holy Spirit, would you go with us to our homes? Would you go with us and not leave us on our own, Lord? And we know that that, that, that never happens. But God, help us to invite your presence with us as we go. Lord, we encourage others, we want all people to fall into this this, this beautiful relationship. So God, we have just um, declared it to be done in Jesus' name. Be with us, go with us, Father. Bless us, I pray. Anoint us with all your power in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The Lord's good, and he's got mighty things in store for those that seek him. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.